Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Good Grow Great Podcast. I'm Talia Toha, and this is Growth Amplifiers. This is the segment where we take certain concepts, certain techniques that you see out there and are being shared, and we talk about their pros and cons or ways that you can adapt and adopt certain things that you've been learning from books uh, and techniques from other experts so that you can really just create something that works for you. I think this is so important because I don't believe that there is one size that fits all. I think that is usually very, very difficult, um, though there are some exceptions. But I wanted to encourage us today to talk about why exactly are we what we think. I'm going to pause for a second because that sentence is worth mentioning again, why we are what we think. I know that some of you guys who have been listening to the podcast know that this is something that I find interesting, and I do want to share some pros and cons to this, and I do want to share uh, why, whether they are entrepreneurs, whether certain people are business person, whether they're authors, whether they are historical figures, philosophers even, they all, from different domains, they always, always touch on this topic. Why is that? Of course, they touch on it from different angles, different perspectives, different degrees. But why are they always talking about this? And what about this is useful to you? What about this can create and help you make uh, a way, basically, for yourself to create a meaningful and enriched life in the best possible sense that works for you, right? Today, that's exactly what I'm going to talk about. I wanted to talk about why we are what we think, and I'm going to share with you an experience that I've done, uh, that I've had actually years and years ago that was very, very difficult. And this is the story of how exactly I came to the United States halfway around the world from my home country in Indonesia. I didn't know how to speak English, all of these things. What I went through, uh, the reaction of a lot of people when I got there, and uh, what kinds of things I encountered that was surprising to me, and how I was able to adapt and adopt and adjust and came out on the other side and just rise beyond um, you know the circumstance and the challenge of course without perfection of course with lots of failures and of course with a lot of disappointment but what happened how did this particular topic uh, help me overcome those and how can this help you do the same in whatever situation you're in now before we dive in be sure to hit that save follow add collect or subscribe button grow solvers let's dive in Okay, you guys, so this is something that, uh, you know, the topic of why we are what we think and why, uh, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy is a terminology that a lot of psychologists found it years ago. Obviously, I'm not a psychologist, and I want to remind you that if you're looking for academic work and academic research, feel free to search it and do your own personal research absolutely great. But um, I wanted to share this from the perspective of someone who studied this, someone who had uh, self-taught themselves uh, what this means and what it means to me over the course of the years and what it can mean to you uh, in the next few years uh, as you're trying to grow something meaningful. For me, 
This is what's really, really interesting. When I came to the United States, I actually, for those of you guys who don't know, I came to the U.S. essentially, gosh, maybe, I, I mean, now it's it feels like decades ago, and it might actually be decades ago, but I was a teenager, and there were a lot of things happening in my home country in Indonesia, including at civil unrest. And um, it got really violent and very dangerous very quickly, right? There's raping, there's pillaging, there is, um, you know, just burning, and there's a lot of looting. And the sense that I was getting and that I remembered when that was happening was just the uh, feeling of fragility, and it wasn't that I didn't feel safe because my parents and my family and everybody around me did a beautiful job of supporting each other and just sharing the love still. But at the time, it was just it just the feeling that the walls of everything around me started to crumble. And it, it almost didn't matter that we built those walls, you know, figuratively over the course of the years. But it felt like it was all starting to fall apart. And when I came to the States, finally, because my family made, and myself, I should include myself in this, we all made the decision to um, to send me over uh, abroad. And they all stayed behind for other reasons, um, with the exception of my other sister. And I came here basically to the US, uh, basically not knowing what to expect. I have some familiarity of the English language, so I kind of knew English the same way that Americans learn Spanish, perhaps, right? Or anybody else outside of the U.S. learn like a second language at school, right? So you kind of know it by book, but you don't really quite know it. And so when I was thrown literally in the middle of suburban United States, I I didn't know what to, what to expect, and it was so hard because I was a teenager. I, um, you know, I was obviously going through the whole identity crisis thing. I was going through a lot of culture shock, a lot of culture exchange. I felt like I couldn't, and this is really the the most interesting part was that I felt like I couldn't really express what I'm trying to express in the way that I want to express it using a different language. I don't know if that makes sense, right? If you guys have studied like another language, this is kind of interesting because different languages have their own way of speaking, have their own intonation and almost have a their own personality to it. It's very, very interesting, you guys. So anyone who is a, a language expert, uh, feel free to reach out to me because uh, I'm looking to study this a little bit more. However, what I found to be absolutely uh, interesting was that the whole time, it was just kind of like I was cruising, I was fine-ish. Uh, somehow I knew, though, in the back of my mind that this whole new experience, uh, I felt like something was, was off, right? And I couldn't put my finger on what exactly that is. And um, And before I knew it, I was doing fine at school, you know, physically and externally, everything was f- going fine. But I wasn't too motivated at certain points. I felt down on myself. I felt secluded. I felt marginalized. I felt like um, no one could really understand me. I felt alone, even though my sister was there at the time. And I was, uh, you know, deeply in touch with my family still, uh, you know, very, very connected still. But the whole time, you know, it felt like, again, something was just not right. 
you know, and it all kind of came to the, everything accumulated to this one night. I remember I couldn't sleep for whatever reason. And I just broke down, right? The I just broke down, like tears, you know, the emotions all start pouring down. And I don't know if you guys, if you guys don't know me personally, and those who know me personally know this, but I'm fairly kind of even keeled. I'm very chill, relaxed for the most times, and also very introverted. So I don't really emote too often. <laughs> you know, that's just not my thing. I know a lot of people are very, very uh, out there, and they just kind of emote a lot, and they feel comfortable doing that it was never something that I felt comfortable with growing up and so that evening I remember when everything started pouring out I remember I was in my bedroom I was in my dorm room and I just started pouring out like just crying right the whole thing and it got me kind of thinking about why I was there to begin with and I thought that I was there because I was a function and I was a result of certain circumstances, right? Everything that was happening at home led me and into this situation. So it was a very almost kind of a passive experience, of a, a passive perspective of an experience as if, hey, this whole situation uh, made me do this or made me end up here or made me, uh, you know, feel this, all right? Or made me experience this. And so that was the the mindset and the perspective that I was going through. And at the same time, I was reading this book. Uh, some of you guys might know this. It's called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, who is a, an MD, PhD. He's a neurologist, and he's also a Holocaust survivor. So, of course, this is a historical figure, and he's talking specifically in his book about how people survive the Holocaust and how he survived the Holocaust. So while I do not claim that my experience is anywhere near what he experienced or what the um, the Holocaust uh, POWs experienced, I'm not saying that at all, but he was going through something that maybe mentally has has relevance to what I was going through at the time. And so it was really, really interesting to see how, you know, he was going through his own internal war while there's an external war happening. He was in the, of course, in, in one of the camps. And I was uh, going through my own internal personal war, right? And I, I read the whole book and I remember, and it still stays with me to this day, his particular saying of everything can be taken from a man, but one thing. And I'm quoting this directly from his book. Everything can be taken from man, taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Isn't that beautiful? So let's let's say that one more time. Everything can be taken from a man, but one thing. The last of human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. So when I first read this, I thought, huh, that's interesting that he had looked at, you know, when everything is is taken away when everything had been taken away, right? He, he, there's no other way to get out. He noticed something that most people did not and that there is still one 
freedom left to choose. There's always the freedom to choose. And more important, most importantly, right now for him, and in that case for me as well, was the freedom to choose my attitude to that particular circumstance, whether that's good, whether that's bad, right? And what do I want to respond with? How do I want to respond with uh, in this particular situation? And remember, just a minute ago, I was talking about how I felt like a victim, right? There's that victim mentality of, oh, you know, the life was like this. You know, I ended up here because X, Y, Z, right? So the causality of the set of circumstances, I was placing the cause on something external. And whether that is true or not, in this case, of course it's true, right? I ended up there because I ended up in the U.S. because all of these things were happening, but in that moment, in every single moment, in every single fraction of the minute, I still have the freedom to choose my attitude. Maybe not necessarily to choose the outcome, you know, even though we all want our own outcome. Maybe not necessarily the freedom to choose how this all will pan out, you know. Obviously, selfishly, we all want things to work in our favor. And maybe not even the the freedom to choose whether or not we are going to come out of this successful or not. But what we can still control, what we can still choose is our attitude. And that's part of freedom. We still have the freedom to choose whether our hands are tied in the back, whether we are um, you know, down on the floor because of something, whether we have nothing else to give and physically we can't do much else. There's still a little piece of our mind, a small piece of our mind that actually embodies this big freedom of the ability to choose our attitude, our perspective, our approach, and how we want to respond or not respond in any set of circumstances, as Viktor Frankl had mentioned. I think this is the most beautiful reminder that I could ever have gotten. And that book honestly stayed with me even to this day. I still remind myself of that book I think even just like last week, you know, and I still remind myself, you know, even though things are hard, uh, there's still something in us that we can still choose and we can always choose our attitude. So from that point on, I remember as a teenager in a foreign country, unable to, you know, really express my feelings and I felt really, really secluded. I felt really, really on my own at that point. I I did a 180. I suddenly saw the light. You know, I suddenly went 180 and I was, wow. You know, like I just decided that I was there because for a reason, I don't know what that reason is. I was there because, you know, I was lucky enough to be able to to really find a place where I feel safe, that I felt safe. A lot of people in my home country at the time couldn't have or wasn't able to have that gift and that privilege. And so in a lot of ways, I chose that moment that evening in my dorm room on my own while my tears were like drying out, you know, and I realized that I could still do something about this. And it's not the end. It wasn't something where 
I can't do anything about. And that was really when things start to unlock. I started to proactively, you know, lean into learning from my friends, trying to see their point of view, uh, you know, making new fr- friends within a new language, <laughs> nonetheless, and trying to understand why they think their ways, uh, why they think a certain ways, why they say things in that way, and just having a beautiful time in that process. Because I chose at that point, I chose. And so I think that's something that we have to remind ourselves that when people talk about the self-fulfilling prophecy, and for those of you guys who don't know, self-fulfilling prophecy is essentially a concept that psychologists and a lot of people who've studied this academically, they talk about how it is essentially a false definition of the situation evoking a new behavior, which makes the original false conception come true. So again, it's a false definition of the situation evoking a new behavior, which makes the original false conception come true, is the definition that sociologist Robert Merton, um, who was one of the earlier people who studied this, uh, this concept, that's his definition of self-fulfilling prophecy, meaning that whether a situation is or isn't a certain way, because that is something that we define it as, that original conception, whether it's true or false, come true. It's so interesting, right? It's so interesting because this kind of reminds me of how a lot of times when, you know, you don't want to make a mistake. Again, I always talk about like the example of maybe when you're speaking in public, you're presenting something. And I always kind of, I remember when I was doing this earlier on in my life, I always go, okay, don't mess up. Don't trip up. Don't do this. Don't X, Y, Z. Don't on and on, right? And without fail, all of those things always happen because I was so focused on that, whether that's a don't or a do. I was so focused on that that it became almost a reality. It's so weird, right? It's so weird. And then you hear quotes from uh, Henry Ford as well, even like Henry Ford, who's obviously the uh, the, the great entrepreneur of, uh, you know, the American history is that he mentioned whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Uh, which is so, so interesting because uh, I... When I first heard that quote and when I first learned about Viktor Frankl's work, I always said, oh, this is a bunch of, I'm sorry, right? A bunch of beep. And I just didn't get it. I thought that, what is that? Like, what does that mean anyway? Like, that's so confusing. And that just sounds like a bunch of hogwash. Like, I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. But then as I started to open my eyes and pay attention to my own experiences and how certain things did manifest itself when I believe it um, and how certain things didn't manifest when I didn't believe it um, or vice versa even. You know, whatever our thought is consumed by, a lot of those uh, become a reality. It's so interesting and so meta. And I know that this is kind of bridging into the philosophy, which is why I want to bring in yet another quote by Friedrich Nietzsche. I never know how to uh, pronounce his name. I'm sorry for those of you guys who are philosophers. But he says that there are no facts, only interpretations, (laughs) which is even more, right? But this kind of brings us back down to the concept of reality versus 
perception of reality and what we believe is our reality. And I think this is something that particularly when you're going through a certain obstacle and challenges, and I know that not all obstacles are and challenges are the same, and we can't apply this to all of them. So, you know, feel free to obviously extract some of these gems and see if it can apply to your life right now, to your work right now. And whether this can then be manifested into how you start, uh, you know, a side hustle, how maybe you can get a raise, how you can be better at your work, and how you can even start to sell in a meaningful way, in a way that makes you comfortable, and in a way that resonates with other people, because this is so, so important. So specific to your work um, whatever that domain is, the creative arts, the entrepreneurial side of things, the side hustles, maybe you're trying to grow something online. It's, it's really, really interesting. And I want to share with you three action steps that can help you take this concept and put it straight into your life today right and into your work today and into the the ability to make your work and your life align together so that nothing feel feel out of sorts and you still get that freedom to do whatever meaningful thing that you've always wanted to do and in your way which i think is so so crucial so the first thing that i did of course from that experience and from learning from people like Frankel, Nietzsche, uh, Henry Ford, and Robert Merton, is that I made a personal choice. And that's the first thing, number one, that you can do yourself, make a choice. I think a lot of times when we start something or we're, we're going through something challenging, the question is always, well, what should I do? And the question is always that follows that is, well, what if it doesn't work? Well, what if so and so. So we start to come up with these hypothetical and, um, you know, best and worst case scenarios that may or may not even be true, you guys. So it's almost like our head and our brain goes ahead and goes faster than it needed to be. And I don't know why this is the case, but it actually is in a lot of ways because of the uh, plethora and all of these options that we have in front of us, it actually becomes kind of a disservice for people who are actually wanting to start something and start to get going, you know, so it, it just kind of stops all of the progress and the process dead in their tracks, because we start to kind of be all the more consumed about things that are not even in front of our eyes. And they are things that are you know, one year down the road, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, all of the things that we don't quite have much control of. So why waste the time and why spend all of your energy there? Okay, I'm not saying that you don't need to plan anything and you don't need to be thoughtful and, you know, and just true to what you want to achieve in the years to come. Not at all. Of course, you need to kind of uh, definitely keep that in mind, but keep it in a certain 
uh, part of your mind where it doesn't always come to the forefront, right? And so maybe what I did was that I kind of spend only a fraction of time on things that are unknown, on things that are kind of in the future, you know, near term or far, far term, the what ifs, the, the how to's and the, all of those. But rather that particular day, the most important thing for me is that I make a personal choice. I make a personal choice to do things, to not do things, to say yes to these opportunities, to say no to those other opportunities, to maybe look at the time and be mindful of how much I'm spending on this particular activity. Personally, I know that a lot of people are really, really busy and they're always like, there's the overwhelm and the decision fatigue of, okay, what exactly is the activity that is going to give me the biggest possible result? For me, the question that I always try to answer is what is essentially the smallest yet most meaningful thing that I can do right now that can make the biggest difference, right? That can make the biggest difference. So always think about, okay, which one goes the furthest? Because it's important. You don't have a lot of time in your life. You want to be spending it uh, really enjoying life, you know, enjoying life with your kids, spending it not uh, essentially always having to say no to them, spending it with your spouse, with your partner, with your friends, with your family, right? Maybe even carving out time to take just weeks long and like months long vacations or time off uh, because that's what life is about is to be lived and not to be uh, essentially just waiting all the time. So make the personal choice uh, every single day as you go through what is it that you need to do ask rather, uh, what is it that I need to choose? And I think you'll find that the majority of things that we think is important and urgent is not quite, <laughs> you know, which is kind of interesting. That's at least that's my personal experience. Okay. So the second thing that I want to share with you, the second action steps that you can take on today so that you can really make this whole, um, you know, why we are what we think a reality and start heading in the positive direction and really staying course on that is being mindful of the small voices that make big decisions in your life. Be mindful of the small voices that make big decisions uh, in your life. Now, specifically, I want to talk about two things. The first thing is, of course, people who are around you, right? Um, and number two, what or who you listen to online. So there's an offline component to this, but there's also an online component because when you're offline, right, it could be your family, it could be people you live with, it could be people that you've, uh, you constantly are on the phone with. And of course, with your family and friends, because they're your family and friends, you don't always get to choose what they say, right? And so what you can do is you can choose when and how long you get to hear these voices. And I'm not saying that you should cut ties with people that you love. No, 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 not at all. These are important people in your life who may possibly always be in your life. I am of the, I'm a proponent of um, making, basically taking ownership of your time and uh, taking ownership of how long and the length of time and the length of exposure that you have to people um, in your life. So if maybe, I don't know, maybe you're 
aunt or uncle or like your cousin or your mom and dad don't necessarily support you in what you do, maybe one thing that you can do is just be upfront with them and say, you know, mom, dad, I I know that you don't like what it is that I'm doing, or you think that I should be doing X, Y, Z. I should be whatever it is, a doctor, an engineer, whatever it is that they tell you that you need to do. Maybe you can have just a short conversation and you just say, you know what, mom, you know what, dad, Uh, I know that these are things that you want to do, uh, want me to do, but these are what actually, uh, these are the other things that actually resonate with me. And I want you to know that I love you. And these other things are something that I'm going to continue to pursue, whether you like it or not. If you support me, I can continue to hang out with you like once a week uh, for an hour or two. But if you don't support me, um, I do want to share with you that, um, you know, I may have to uh, just be with you or hang out with you maybe once every other week instead. Right. Something like that where you protect what's important to you, uh, but at the same time, you're also still sharing and resonating the love and the genuine respect and honoring all of the sacrifices that they've made and all of the the times that they do support you, that they did support you. Right. So be sure to be mindful of not just who you listen to and uh, offline, but how long, um, what the frequency is of you listening to them and um, and where, right? And so I, I just make sure that those things align could really tremendously up-level and upscale your output and the way that you can really, really create something meaningful. That's in the offline space. Now, online, of course, when you have multiple apps open all the time, uh, now, I'm not completely, I think social media and the media, the news, all of those things, they have their own place in the world. But it's when we are unable to take ownership of them, when we are unable to essentially feel like we own them and we actually instead feel like they own us, that's when we need to push the brakes, right? We need to hit the brakes and go, whoa, 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 something is off. Why am I always feeling like whenever I have nothing to do that I have to grab that phone, check Instagram, check LinkedIn, check whatever dings that can make me feel good, right? All of these, and I'm, I'm not saying that I, I experience this as well. I think we all do. There's almost this like brain chemistry happening happening inside without, without us knowing that propels us and encourages us to continue to come back to those things. I think all of those things, again, just like anything in life, have they have value if used correctly. Now, the question is, how can we as a, as a group of humanity, how can we really rise beyond all of those, right? So, instead of being owned by them, I want to think about how we can own those things, right? And just be absolutely purposeful about where, how long, and who we listen to there. Now, I am really passionate about this because, um, you know, Ramit Sethi talks about this as well, as you want to be uh, thinking about who we listen to, who exactly are we listen to, and are we careful about who we listen to? Because whether we realize it or not, our brain is absorbing that, right? Whether we go, oh, you know what, I'm just going to watch this for like an hour, uh, but I don't believe in it. 
but be be aware that when you do choose right to choose that to to listen to it to watch whatever video that you see on youtube those all go in it's kind of like consuming food right you can't just go oh i'm just gonna uh, eat a bunch of junk food and hopefully i'm just gonna will my mind into not um not having a heart attack it doesn't quite work that way right the brain is the same thing our mind is the same thing our mental mindset is the same thing so why not treat it the same way that we are consuming physical foods because it, that's exactly what it is so i think um, online, when we have all of these apps open, you want to be sure to to think about, okay, which ones of these are actually something that resonate with me and something that aligns with what I believe in, the personality that I want to stay true to, the lifestyle, the schedule that I wanted to maintain and protect, right? The time that I want to protect for my family, for my own self-care, whatever that is protect it, take ownership of it, and absolutely be mindful of the small, small voices, I should say, that make big decisions in your life, because it's going to come out one way or another. So whether that's me that you need to be mindful of, and this is not for you, which is fine, or you go somewhere else, and you listen to other folks, that's fine as well. But at all times, always be mindful, constantly evolve and self-correct and course correct because your life will thank you for it. That's number two. Number three, uh, why this is important that we t- think about why we are what we think and the third action step that you can immediately take into your life and apply into your life is that small reframes can lead to big changes. Small reframes can lead to big changes. What do I mean by reframes? It just means that the perspective, similar to what happened with Viktor Frankl and myself when I first encountered his story and his work, is that it was a 180 degree reframe. It was a surprisingly simple yet clear Uh, reframe that helped me look at things in a different light. The first one that I wasn't happy about was that I saw that, uh, well, I was just a product of certain situations, external circumstances that I cannot control. But Frankel says, no, 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 we can control it. It's part of the last of the human freedoms to choose to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. So choose to reframe how we look at things, reframe our perspective in a small way even, if you can't like really make that leap, because it can lead to big big changes. I'm reminded, I did remember, and this is something that I love, Simon Sinek, of course, whom we all love and, and respect. He, I think, once said that, when he thinks about uh, about going up to speak in front of you know thousands of people perhaps and he starts to get nervous, uh, he would say, instead of thinking, oh, I'm nervous, he's saying, I'm here to give. I'm here to give. And 
what a wonderful way to reframe. It's the same sensation. We all get those heart, the heart pounding. We all get that excitement or nervousness, right? Is it excitement or nervousness? Um, Simon Sinek says, uh, reframe it. You know, instead of coming from the perspective of, I have to perform, I have to do well, I have to kill this. You know, there's all this like glorification of success that we see uh, around us. And maybe that works for you, but if it doesn't work for you and it's not something that you resonate with, I tend to myself, I resonate with the perspective of giving. I can't always, I, of course, we're all selfish human beings. I don't always feel it, but when I remind myself that my work, this podcast, what I'm sharing with you, these raw behind the scenes things that uh, epic fails that I experienced and uh, you know successes that came from it, those are all things that I was uncomfortable with sharing to begin with at first, but because I realized that if there's someone else listening, maybe this is you, maybe it's someone that you know that you can share this with. Um, if someone else is listening to this and they're experiencing the same things and they felt stuck and they felt like there's no way out, but when I go, I'm here to give and I give them this story, something that I'm sharing, and also these action steps. I mean, we all get all the more enriched. They get all the more enriched. They suddenly feel like it's not at all darkness, it's not just all horrible. It's something that they can go through. So what we say, the words that we use, what we tell others about what we go through, these words have meaning. So reframe it. In another episode, I believe it was episode 88, I talked about imposter syndrome and how JK Rowling went from a divorced single parent and went on to earn $95 million a year and all from reframing. Uh, how she views rejection letters. And so this is so important, something that actually looks small, but can be absolutely massive and can lead to big, big changes in our lives. So I want to encourage you to do this and encourage you to apply some of the things that we talk about in this episode, adjust it, improve it, tweak it, make it better, right? And go all in on understanding that we have a choice. And this is one of our uh, beautiful human freedoms that we don't always recognize is important, but it's actually one of the biggest, most important things that we can do in our lives is to make a personal choice to to choose our attitude in any given circumstances, uh, a la Viktor Frankl. So I want to leave you with that. Be sure to, if this resonates with you, if this is useful to you, be sure to hit that follow, subscribe, add, or collect button because we're going to be sharing some more of these over the course of next week's as we talk about things that are important to you, things that are uh, purpose-driven and things that can really, really elevate your life so that you can live it in a fulfilling and enriched way. I'm Talia Toha. You guys, thanks for hanging out with me. Until next time, let's dive in. <laughs>